Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
To the best soldiers in the world.
No one had a friendly word to say When he came by they all just looked away The mention of his name just brought a frown He was known as the miser of the town In synagogue they never called his name People wondered why he even came Little children cursed him up and down They were told he was the miser of the town Well, the years they came and went No one saw a penny spent And he spent his final hour all alone And when they heard he died Not a single person cried And they buried him somewhere without a stone inside a while just to speak You see, till last week we were okay For years somebody's brought us food each day We never saw him come or heard him go And who this person is we just don't know Every single day that week Someone new came by to speak The orphan girl, the blind man with his cane And rumors sorta grew About a philanthropic Jew Who gave a lot, but never gave his name I guess you all can figure out the rest In charity, the miser was the best He was buried properly with the town's apology In a place of honor he was laid to rest In a Jewish graveyard somewhere there's a stone For a man who kept his charity unknown And on this stone the simple words are found We are wiser About the miser of our town We are wiser About the miser of our town The miser of our town And the rivers, through every single door, the 
matter what the soldiers said or how the rain would pour, lady always kept a smile, wiped the tears away. Nothing could ever keep him down when he'd start to say, It's Shabbos now, Shabbos now, and I will sing
in the AM, Friday morning at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world in the web, jmintheam.org. Shlomi Daska with that great medley off of Shades of Green, Volume 3. Eighth day had It's Shabbos Now, Miser of the Town from the Yes Legacy double CD done by Sam Glazer, Yaakov Shweki, and Misha Beirach. That is an amazing prayer for the welfare of our soldiers in the Holy Land, our soldiers in the State of Israel. This coming Monday is Yom HaZikaron. We'll remember those who have fallen in battle, in terror attacks, who've given their lives for the State of Israel and for the Jewish nation. That's Monday right here at JMNAM. Robert Katz is going to be hosting Monday's Yom HaZikaron program. Mayor Weingarten and I will be here Tuesday to celebrate Israel's 66th birthday on Yom HaTzma'ut, Israel Independence Day. <coughs> uh, Kadshenu, done by the cast of Achenu. 
The uh, Maccabees, who were here in studio yesterday, their brand new CD, One Day More. You heard Dror Yikra and Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this May 2nd, day two in the month of ER. Today is day number 17 in the counting of the Omer. That's day number 17. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR with candle lighting time at 7.33. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Bahab starts Monday. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. Monday is Yom HaZikaron. Remember, it's been moved today by the rabbinate of the State of Israel. We will follow their lead in terms of when to um, commemorate Yom HaZikaron. Yom HaZikaron is Tuesday. Remember, it was moved a day by the rabbinate of the State of Israel. Uh, we will utilize their decision as to when to celebrate Yom HaZikaron, and therefore our celebration for Israel's 66th birthday will be this coming Tuesday. 57 degrees, 75% humidity, winds are west at a mile per hour. Partly cloudy with a high temperature of 67. Then tonight, partly cloudy, low 50. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high temperature, 70 degrees. 73 in Yerushalayim, Tel Aviv, and Haifa. A lot at 91.1. We're at 57 here in Jersey City. And as we say good morning at JM in the AM. One hour from now, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, an organization that does not include J Street. Uh, he'll be our guest coming up one hour from now. Jake Novak's going to join us, talk a little bit about the economics uh, and the um, and the business world in Israel. Uh, we'll do that in the 7 o'clock hour and plenty more between now and the 9 a.m. right here at JM in the a.m. All right. Uh, what are we doing? Oh, we're going to Simcha Liner next at JM in the a.m.
Say, 
Selection from the Maccabees, Aisha Tile off of One Day More. Eitan Katz before that, Yisbarach Shimcha. You heard Benny Friedman with the medley entitled Hashem Truly Loves Us from a Shabbos with Benny Friedman. Simcha Liner had Eliyahu to open up that set. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline joins us 40 minutes from now. Talking about what's been happening this week. Jake Novak uh, is going to join us about 20 minutes from now. Talk about the Israeli economy a bit. Candle lighting at 7.33 on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Emor. I thank you all for tuning in. Galitzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Today's day 17 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Monday, Robert Katz with our Yom Zikaron Israel Memorial Day commemoration. 
Tuesday, Yom Ha'atzma'ud. Mayor Weingarten and I will celebrate Israel's 66th birthday on the air here at JM in the AM. Make sure to join us Tuesday for the big celebration. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM in the AM. גלי צהל שעה שתיים, כאן כרמית ראובן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. עשרות לוחמים משוחררים וכן כמה חיילים במדים הפגינו בצהריים בצומת הקריה בתל אביב לתמיכה בדוד הנחלאוי שדרך את נשקו על פלסטיני. כתבתנו שירה הדס נקר שמע, שמע שם כמה מבנות היחידות הקרביות. חייבים דחוף לשנות את הנהלים של פתיחה באש, דחוף. כמה פעמים עמדתי במחסום ותהיתי לעצמי, מותר לי לראות בבן אדם או לדרוך עליו את הנשק או לעשות לו משהו, מאיימים עליי, יורקים עליי, מרביצים לי, ואני צריכה לשתוק. אנשים לא ירצו להתגייס יותר כי הם יפחדו להישאר לבד בלי הגנה באמצע חברון, באמצע שכם, ג'נין. אנשים לא ירצו להתגייס, לא יהיה מי שישמור על המדינה שלנו. לקראת ערב יום הזיכרון לחללי מערכות ישראל שיערך ביום ראשון הקרוב, יום העצמאות ה-66, שר הביטחון משה בוגי יעלון מפרסם מסר לבני המשפחות השכולות. למרות ההצלחות המפוארות שאנו גאים בהן והכישרונות הרבים שהתברכנו בהם, למרבה הצער טרם הגענו אל המלוכה והנחלה. אנו לא נרתע, נמשיך לשאוף לשלום, אך נגדע ידם של אלו המבקשים את נפשנו. אין מזור לכאב הנורא אשר מציף את הגוף ואינו מרפה, אך אתן גם מלמדות אותנו עוצמה מהי. יכולת העמידה שאתן מפגינות והחזרה לחיי היצירה והעשייה הם עבורי שיא הגבורה, אות ומופת לכולנו. כלל תושבי ירושלים יכולים לחזור להשתמש בברזים אחרי יומיים של שיבושים. כתבנו יותם ברגר. גם תושבי שכונת אבו תור, שמימיהם היו מזוהמים ביומיים האחרונים, יכולים לשוב ולהשתמש במים כרגיל ובלי צורך בהרתחה. זאת לאחר שאתמול שבו המים הנקיים לברזים של עשרות אלפי תושבים בשכונות נוספות שמימיהן זוהמו. מבדיקת הרשויות עולה כי התקלה שנפתרה נבעה מחדירה של מי קולחין לצינורות מי השתייה. בקרמלין מגיבים להחרפה היום בעימותים במזרח אוקראינה, כתבתנו נעמה ארטשיק. מוסקבה מזהירה את קייב מהשלכות המבצע הצבאי במזרח אוקראינה. דובר הקרמלין אמר לתקשורת הרוסית כי קייב צריכה לקחת אחריות על מעשיה, לא ייתכן שאוקראינה משתמשת בכלי טיס נגד אזרחיה. בשעות הבוקר נרשמים עימותים בין צבא אוקראינה לפרו-רוסים בסלוויאנסק, לאחר שהבדלנים ירטו שני מסוקים של הצבא האוקראיני. ולסיום, נפטרה תעלומת הפירמידות, כך הצליחו המצרים העתיקים לשנע אבנים במשקל טונות. כתבתנו יערה שפירא מוסרת שעל פי מחקר חדש מאוניברסיטת אמסטרדם, המצרים הרטיבו ככל הנראה את חול המדבר במים, והסיעו מעליו את האבנים במזחלות. פטנט נחמד. אלה החדשות שערך היום עידו דוד כהן, בצוות אדר קרפיול ואבי כהן.
Thank you. 
J.M. and the A.M. Soul Farm with Lachad Dodi had an amazing Pesach with Soul Farm. They were just incredible uh, down at Legendary Destinations. Uh, before that, you heard the uh, Shalshala selection, Aishas Chayo, off of their brand new one entitled Connections here at J.M. and the A.M. Day 17, the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. 17 is the number. Candle lighting at 7.33. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Don't forget, Monday is Yom HaZikaron. We'll be um, inspired by the incredible program that will be done by uh, Robert Katz. On Tuesday, Mayor Weingarten and I are going to be uh, celebrating, celebrating Israel's 66th birthday. This coming Tuesday on Yom Ha'atzma'ut. That is when the chief rabbinate of Israel has designated as this year's Yom Ha'atzma'ut celebration and service and observance. That's what we're going to be doing Tuesday morning right here at JM in the AM. Looking forward to that amazing celebration. Malcolm Honline coming up. We'll do the weekly update and speak about a whole bunch of stuff. Jake Novak in just a few minutes. From CNBC on the topic of a couple of important and interesting pieces of economic information out of Israel. Talk about those and much, much more coming up at JM in the AM. I'm 
Amazing selection. One of my uh, favorites off the brand new Yaakov Shweki Kolod CD. And an amazing Erev Shabbos tune. Friday morning, JM in the AM at 22 minutes after 7 o'clock. Jake Novak is with us live via telephone. He is supervising producer of Street Signs, a program that airs at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on CNBC Network. And uh, he has written an interesting editorial about uh, what the United States could learn from Israel and the way it handles its economy, especially in light of the last uh, five years of the big downturn. We'll speak with him about that and a couple of other things in regard uh, to Israel in uh, economic news. Jake Novak, welcome to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you very much. Pleasure pleasure to speak to you, and uh, I hope things are going well over there on uh, Street Signs on CNBC. Is that one of the more popular shows on the network? Well, you know, it's a, it's a show that's on during the market hours. As you said, it's on at 2 p.m., right. and um, I had been, I've been at CNBC for about a year and a half, a little longer than that, and I, my, first te- my beginning of my tenure there was uh, with the, uh, the Cudlow Report with Larry Cudlow in the evenings, which was an editorial show based mostly on the economy, but also politics, but I have to tell you, I missed being on while the market is open because, you know, you can get all the politics and economic debate during the market hours as well. But I, I, missed, I missed having breaking news every few minutes. You know, this stock's moving. This company's made this announcement. So for the last couple of months, being back on during uh, market hours has been a pleasure. Oh, that's cool. So 2 o'clock every day, people should realize that that's when it's on. 
and uh, Street Signs is the name of the program, folks, on CNBC. So, you know, it's interesting. I read your editorial regarding um, uh, what the United States could learn from Israel in terms of its economic policy and the way things have been going in the Holy Land for the last few years. I recall I went to Canada uh, weeks after the whole, you know, housing bubble burst and uh, things were, you know, in such a depressed state or at least anticipating a depressed state here in the U.S. And when I get to my uh, to my destination in Canada and I'm schmoozing with some of my friends, they say, yeah, we don't have that problem here. And I said, what? What do you mean you don't have the problem here? I figured that, you know, anything that happens in the U.S. is yeah. going to happen in Canada, right? <laughs> so they said, no, we don't allow mortgages with less than a 25% uh, down payment on the home. Yeah. So, so we are much more protected in terms of this stuff than what you guys have done in the U.S. And it seems that what you've written about Israel uh, is sort of the same thing, because in Israel they have not suffered the economic downturn that we have over the last five years. Have they been more responsible in terms of the way they lend money and the way they deal with their economic situation? Well, basically they did, they did two things, and the two different strategies that helped Israel were carried out by two different people. Um, the first person is is really good news for Americans, and is that it was Stanley Fisher. Uh, right. Stanley Fisher had the you know headed the Bank of Israel, and one of the things he did was uh, similar to our Fed policy in the United States. He you know basically made it easier. He made the, the money flow a little bit easier. And in, in, specifically in Israel, what he did is he devalued the shekel. Now, if you don't have anything to sell overseas, a lower valued currency isn't going to help you. But Israel, at the same time. This tech and pharma explosion was continuing and accelerating in Israel. So at the same time that Israel was, try- was doing the whole startup nation thing, creating companies, creating products, and wanting to sell them, the price to foreign corporations dropped considerably. So there was a lot of uh, interest in, in Israeli products right. and Israeli know-how. Um, People wanted so that, to buy yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. So then, but... Um, it's funny, though, as I research and research more, because what they wanted me to do at CNBC was really look into Stanley Fisher, because Stanley Fisher is about to become the vice chairman of the Fed here. He's going to be easily confirmed Correct. Uh, here in the United States. Um, they wanted me to look at As I looked more and more into Stanley Fisher, though, it became clear that he was still kind of the second banana in this whole story. And, and the person most responsible for Israel's economic uh, viability during the downturn globally and their strength now is really Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, um, and it really it, it's it's amazing how if you go to Israel now, you speak to people. I think his personal popularity in Israel remains weaker than 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 maybe a lot of people expect, but it speaks a lot to the Israeli maturity uh, from the voting public that people begrudgingly feel that he has he, he's a good a leader. You know, he has he has the right policies, and what he did very simply, Nachum, is he. He lowered taxes. He cut taxes both in his term as finance minister under Sharon, and he's continued to do it as prime minister. Uh, he's had to raise them a little bit here and there, but in general, it's been a very a cutting process. And he and he just said, or actually, even earlier this week, that if Israel's economic growth starts to slow again to a certain level that he wouldn't be happy with, he would cut the taxes again. Right. So it's not really lending money more responsibly, like my example was. This is this is giving people more money, and therefore the economy is going to be vibrant. They have more to spend and more to put back in. Right. I mean, I think that the Israeli pop population and a lot of the world's economists were knocked backwards this week, uh, early, actually late last week. By a report that the Globe's Israel newspaper did, they looked into the latest OECD report, which is a fancy term. It's basically the OECD is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. It's a fancy, annoying, bureaucratic term for basically the 34 biggest economies in the world right. are part of this group. And Israel's in it. Yeah, and Israel is in it. 
And uh, the, the reporters at Globes, to their credit, went, looked at this latest study that, you know, that was released about uh, in early April that no one bothered to pay attention to, and they looked very closely at it, and they were shocked to find that Israel, out of the 34 countries in this list, has the 31st lowest uh, tax burden. But more importantly, over the last 10 years, the tax burden has been coming down a lot. Now, if you're a person in Israel living here, you probably feel like, oh, my God, this can't be true. We have <laughs> yeah. such terrible taxes. <laughs> they think you're lying. <laughs> yeah, you're crazy. We have the VAT tax. We have all those things. And, you know, I understand that burden, and I'm not trying to belittle it. The point is, though, and this is something that you learn when you study economies and, 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 and markets, it's not only your, your existing burden, but what's the trend been? Has the trend been the taxes and, and costs have been going up, or has the trend been going down? Mm-hmm. And Israel has basically the, the best trend right now. The trend in all these countries, tax burden has been going down considerably over the last 10 years. And the tax um, structure in Israel is incredibly fair. I mean, we keep trying to talk about fairness and taxes here in the United States, and we don't seem to ever be able to get there. They, the, these reporters dug into the report and found that, for example, a single mom making a middle-class wage in Israel has a tax burden, you know, hold on to your hat here, of 1.7%. I mean, that's nothing. Basically, no taxes. That's her income tax rate. Right. And that's a fantastic, it's a fantastic um, uh, way, way to kind of set up your society, because what we want here in the United States, for example, right, don't we want people to not want to go on welfare, to want sure. to stay within the workforce? But, you know, honestly, I mean, people aren't stupid. If they see they're going to make more money from welfare and not working, mm-hmm. you know, they might not get into the workforce. Israel has made this not even a choice. Clearly, you're going to do better in the workforce, no matter what your situation is. And that's obviously going to be a huge issue going forward as they try to incorporate more of the Haredi community into the workforce um, and cut the welfare um, uh, payments to them. Jake Novak with us, uh, supervising producer at CNBC. Um, so what's going on in Israel is, is amazing news. And like you said, not every Israeli uh, would acknowledge it or realize it, right? Yeah. Uh, but when we look at average income tax, you just mentioned one example, under 2%. Unbelievable. We understand the advantage of that. But it, 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 can you quantify for us, uh, on average, what the annual income tax is for an Israeli, what the what the rate would be as compared to here in the U.S.? Yeah, it's just under 20 one percent. It's exactly twenty point seven percent, and that seems like an amazing number. Even something we're not used to when you put it all together. Yeah, I mean, it, it, now again, that doesn't include some of the sales taxes right. and other issues. But remember, in Israel, they don't have the kind of locality and property tax. I mean, they do have property tax, but they don't have the kind of uh, you know we're we're taxed by a million different uh, municipalities and groups here. If you live in the United States, so. I mean, I would argue the tax burden is lower. It's just that they have other high costs of living uh, in Israel. And some of that, by the way, is a testament to their the economic expansion. You know, when, mm-hmm. when the economy gets better in a country, there is going to be inflation. There's no way around it. Um, but you just hope that, you're, that, that the more jobs and the more income that you're getting will cover that. And one of the things you can do to help that is cut the taxes. And, and we had that here in the United States. You know, we all remember the high inflation of the late 70s, 1980, 1981. Right. And President Reagan, at first as a candidate, and then as president, said, well, I'm going to cut the taxes. And every economist, almost every economist, said, well, that's crazy. That's going to make inflation higher. It's going to make it really rough. And, of course, the exact opposite happened, because people were able to keep more of what they earned. Yeah, sure. They weren't forced to, 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 put it, you know, to, to put the money away and, and keep prices high. And, um, you know, it really – and, you know, again, it's not just a Ronald Reagan thing. John F. Kennedy did it, too. We mm-hmm. had high inflation in the early 60s. He cut the taxes in 1962. Uh, didn't really go into effect until after he was killed, but it did spur a very long economic surge in this country. So I just, it's, it's sad to me that, that cutting taxes have become, has become this partisan thing because Democrats and Republicans in the past used to agree that, yeah, this, this helps the economy. Right. That's why Fisher's new role here it can, can really, if he does go in the direction of uh, what, what, what it sounds like you're proposing, that it be more Israeli-like, 
it, it can only accomplish, you know, a, a certain. To, it, it can only work to a certain degree. You need the cooperation of those in the administration and those in Congress who are ready to take drastic action when it comes to taxes. I don't know if anybody's prepared for that at this point. Yeah, I mean, what's great about Stanley Fisher is I think one part of his career that maybe he didn't have had have established before he went to Israel was this tax cutting experience. I mean, now he didn't do the tax cutting. He just, but he could have been a huge thorn in Netanyahu's side and stopped it. And he clearly understood the value of it and didn't and cooperated with it. All right, so he's now, so he's ready to uh, to allow it to happen. Now the problem is we need his partners to go ahead and implement it. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> at, at the Fed, obviously, he won't have the, the ability right. to enact that policy himself. But what he will do, and I hope, and I think he'll do, you know, you, many of you might remember Alan Greenspan and Ben Bernanke in the early parts of, used to always come to Congress and say, you listen, you got to cut the spending, right. especially on entitlements. You have to do that. And that was right. Stanley Fisher's career in the 80s. He was the great advisor to presidents and, and world leaders all over the globe telling them, look, you got to stop with all this entitlement spending. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And that's another thing Netanyahu did as finance minister. He, he solved the pension prog- problem in Israel. Israel could have looked a lot like Reese right now had Netanyahu in the early 2000s not helped to reform that. And Fisher was a great advisor to him on that as well. And that's what we need here in the United States. But as I, as I, as I continue to warn, if you cut your spending and you don't cut the taxes and you don't have some kind of monetary policy, then you have the situation like you have in Europe. You have very, very slow growth. You have to have both. You can't just say, well, we're going to cut the spending and that's going to help because you also need to cut the taxes. You have to have cut, you know, if you're going to take away the help from the government, then you need to be able to tell the people, hey, you're going to keep more of what you earn as well, and that's going to turn out to be better. And by the way, just by way of comparison, because you mentioned under 21% in terms of Israeli income tax, all the other developed countries on average in that uh, that survey are around 36%. I mean, we're talking about a vast difference between what Israel is doing and what the average country on that list is doing. Yeah, it's poison. I mean, if you tell the people of your country, well, we're going to cut all your government benefits and we're going to raise your taxes or we're not going to lower your taxes, that's that's a recipe for complete disaster. And we haven't had that in the United States because we haven't cut our spending, which is definitely disastrous for the long term. But it's disastrous for the short term if we don't start cutting the taxes. And the, we just we haven't had it. And there's not even any remote chance with President Obama in office of any kind of tax cuts, which is really too bad because, like I said before, John F. Kennedy cut taxes. Bill Clinton didn't cut income taxes, but he cut the capital gains tax, right. which is a which was a huge policy that right. Obama almost immediately reversed because Obama has has gone back and raised them from where they were under Clinton, which was a terrible policy. And you know, as I've often said, as much as Republicans are angry at President Obama, the real people who should be angry at him are the Clinton Democrats and the JFK Democrats because the good things that those two presidents did economically, he's reversed. Stanley Fisher gets confirmed when? In weeks? Months? When when does he move into Washington? I think he's going to be confirmed by the end of this month. The oh. Senate committee yesterday, uh, I think it was unanimous, uh, confirmed him. You know, he has dual citizenship. We shouldn't make, let people think that he was, uh, right. you know, he's a native-born Israeli. But he he's basically been the mentor for every single important person in American economic thought in the last 20 or 30 years. Ben Bernanke is a student. Alan Greenspan, Alan Greenspan was his colleague. Mohammed Al Arian, who um, you know is basically one of the great minds as far as bonds and investments in this country, uh, in a great show of ecumenical Muslim to Jewish cooperation, can't say enough good things about <laughs> Stanley Fisher. So that's how you know he's really good, a, a, a real good deal. Jake Novak is with us, supervising producer of Street Signs, which is on CNBC weekdays at 2 p.m. Uh, before I let you go, what's the, yeah, and it's funny because, you know, from my vantage point, you always think that, you know, Israel and, uh, and Jewish news dominates no matter where. And we don't realize sometimes how, uh, how small the news item could be if it's coming out of Israel or is referring to the Israeli economy. Is, is there, is there a blip on the, on the screen of interest at your network 
when they hear about these massive purchases that are going on uh, by international companies, usually based in America, of Israeli companies? When you hear about, I don't know, Starbucks possibly with SodaStream or, or Waze or other high-tech companies that are you know, making an impact out there in our news, does it affect your news? You know, uh, there really is. Uh, there really has been, in the last couple of years, in the mainstream general business news media, an acknowledgement that all these political discussions about Israel are, are about to become secondary, which would be such welcome news. I mean, when you hear Israel and it's not about the territories and not about the Palestinians and you hear about something about, about SodaStream or Intel, I mean... Uh, Jim Cramer from Mad Money here, and he's also on Squawk on the Street, who's you know the the very wild and and sage uh, stock trader here that we use here at, at CNBC. He's been a SodaStream you know, promoter for a long time, and he's been focused on it for many many years. Um, and these are the kinds of things that really make make a difference. And it's one of the good it's one of the things we need to remind some of our you know fellow Jews who are so working so hard against things like the BDS movement and other groups against Israel. But look, we, we appreciate your work, but. Look at the business pages because every single day, I've done this. I started to do this on my social media pages on Twitter and Facebook. Every day I list about four or five what I call the BDS fails, and I'm running out of time because I, I now it's, it's almost ten a day. Wow. Every day there's a, there's another story, and of course the big big news I thought this week was that Intel is going to put another five to six billion dollars into Israel in a new in a new factory. There. Right. I mean, it's it's getting to the point where look. There's absolutely no way the world, econ- the world economy would take a tremendous hit if Israelis know-how and products and deals were somehow stopped. And this is all before Israeli natural gas and shale oil comes onto the market in the next couple of years, which is going to make a- be another big game-changer. Unbelievable. Well, Jake, you keep writing editorials like this, and you'll be promoting more and more Aliyah. People are going to be looking toward, toward Israel for their future. And, uh, hey, that's only a good thing especially to mention this time of year with the big uh, Israel's uh, 66th birthday coming up. Thanks so much for joining us. Continued good luck at CNBC. You're very welcome. Thank you. Jake Novak is supervising producer of Street Signs at CNBC. And uh, yes, yes, yes. He says, look east if you want to see what's happening with a stable, good, growing, and responsible economy. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM, Malcolm Holmline coming up. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents a group that does not include J Street. We'll speak about that and more coming up at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Candlelighting 7.33 on this Erev Shabbos. Monday, Yom HaZikaron, Robert Katz will be hosting. Tuesday, Yom HaTzmud, Mayor Weingarten and I will be celebrating. The Maccabees with Malchei Amlachim on this uh, 17th day in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. The Chevra before that with Ali Yerushalayim. My thanks to Jake Novak of CNBC. Boy, it is amazing to hear an analysis uh, about the Israeli economy from an expert and to hear just how flourishing it is compared to uh, other developed countries on this globe. Just unbelievable. Friday morning, uh, 57 degrees, partly cloudy, a high of 67. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents, which does not include J Street. He's coming up in just a moment here at JM in the AM. We'll do our weekly update. Um... Rabbi Yudin uh, at uh, 8.15 this morning, and uh, we'll close out the uh, week at 9 o'clock, but don't forget our programming continues all day long on the stream. A throwback program with uh, Naomi Nachman starting at 9 until 10 a.m., and then courtesy of our friends at Kedem, an amazing and incredible Erev Shabbos music mix coming up between 10 a.m. and candlelighting time on this Erev Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, good morning. You know, it's funny. I'm in Washington, and both rabbinic leaders on Wednesday and uh, governmental leaders on Wednesday are saying to me that J Street's going to get into the conference, and then the vote was really not close. Did the whole thing surprise you on Wednesday when they were not included by the other members? Well, I think the margin surprised uh, people. Um, I, I do not uh, participate. I don't vote, and I don't participate in the process, nor does the chairman of the conference. But the uh, vote was uh, 22 against, with plus three abstentions, which is a vote against, versus 17. And on this attempt to try and portray this as somehow a right-wing, uh, as J Street said, you know, a small right-wing fringe dictated, when in fact... You know, when you have democracy and it doesn't go your way, then you, you uh, scream and yell. But when you're demanding democracy and openness in the community and you get it, then you turn against it is somewhat ridiculous. And there are a lot of things being said which were not true in accusations and, you know, uh, people threatening and not threatening. Well, when things don't go your way, uh, you know, then, then nobody likes the process. You know how it is. But... What's interesting is, uh, Malcolm, and, and every once in a while you and I get to discuss this in front of this so wonderful audience, you're, you are leading, and, and, and we'll forget, forget about the J, J Street situation for a moment, you are leading an organization that, to the naked eye, is so diverse and has so many voices to the point where, you, where everybody's angry at you, you know what I mean? <laughs> to the point where you can't do anything right because you really do have a vast and incredible diverse uh, a number of opinions uh, in the conference. As is true of the American Jewish community. And right. We heard from many people who expressed regret about the way their organizations voted. And, um, you know, people are hyping it, especially J Street, to, to, to serve their own purpose. Uh, even though this was not uh, clearly the center was the one that determined the outcome of this vote. And, um, you know, uh, you know, the process will go on. We will continue. It's the, still the it's the one central umbrella organization. I mean, there are a lot of distortions. You know, 
people say, well, the reform movement is the biggest and it doesn't have votes. It has four votes in the conference because it has four organizations in the conference. Right. So there's a conservative movement. So do others. So it's not, it's not, there's no disproportion here. There is uh, broad representation. And it's a system that they develop, members of organizations developed. Unfortunately, you know, J Street's problems, they won't admit that the problems come from them, not from the, the conference or the process, which was fair, open. Everybody says it. Even J Street says it was. I think when you gather, and I think that you would, I, I would hope you'd agree with this, when, when you gather with leadership of all, what is it now, 50, 52, whatever the exact number is, of organizations, uh, it, it, it is generally a, a, a peaceful, um, uh, respectful dialogue and, you know, et cetera. The reason I point it out like that, and, and, I, and I know we have to move on to other topics and we will, but, but it's so many folks out there, even those who might agree with their position, spoke about tactics and the way that we go about things. And if there's one thing you've been preaching all these years for a quarter of a century here, it's that you have to know, you know, how to act, when to act, remember before whom you are acting. And, you know, if, 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 if people are uncomfortable with that, then, you know, with the way certain people act, the way certain organizations approach things, then they're going to have to live with that. You know, if they live by the sword, die by the sword, so to speak. That's true, that people can't just shift the onus or the things they create on either side, on, on all sides of issues, and to to I think there should be a cheshbon and nefesh, not a conference process. But why why was there such an overwhelming? But what is it that was wrong with their positions? It wasn't a rejection of the members, nor was it a judgment at all conference. It was a judgment about J Street, the positions they've taken. The people publish many things. The fact that they have a pack that they actually endorse candidates and give money to candidates is the only organization. That would have been in the conference that would do so. Nobody, APAC is not a PAC. APAC is a public right. affairs committee. Right. So there are a lot of considerations. Right. And, you know, the media just loves to hype it, and they will hype right. it. And just my point one more time, for a, lot of pe- for a lot of people, it was tactics over, uh, mm-hmm. o- over point of view. Uh, by the way, one other thing that I, I must point out, you, you have the privilege this coming Monday night, and, and frankly, this took me by surprise, there is a, a um, an event going on this coming Monday night, and again, for those of you who uh, who don't follow these things, let me remind you that uh, the chief rabbinate of the state of Israel has designated for this year, because of the Shabbos circumstance, has designated Monday as Yom HaZikaron, Israel Memorial Day, Tuesday as Yom HaTzmut, Israel's 66th birthday celebration. On Monday night, Congregation Base Moshe Shmiel on East 28th Street in Brooklyn, New York, starting at 745, is inviting the community to gather to express Hakara Satov appreciation to God, who has blessed us with a thriving and dynamic homeland, the state of Israel, where all Jewish people are free to live their lives and pursue their ideals. The program, which is being hosted by Dr. Shlomo Sprecher, will include Jason Kopel, our friend from APAC, and the keynote address by you, Malcolm Honline, this coming Monday night. Um, you have always said, you know, it's it's not a matter of Hallel or not. It's a matter of whether we do something to acknowledge the fact that we have this incredible gift from God. You must be thrilled that you're able to speak at this type of gathering on Monday night. Well, as much as you were surprised, I was surprised when I got the call. <laughs> and I'm really delighted that this effort is being made and a few people who took the initiative and that it's time that these kind of events take place everywhere. Uh, you know, the program can be designed to, to take into account all the sensitivities in everybody's uh, point of view, 
but not to acknowledge it, to, to denigrate what is probably the most important development in, in Jewish life in the, in, since, since the Shoah, and to, to give young people some identification with it and to show our karasatov to God for, for this great gift. And I think uh, they should be congratulated, the shul should be, and all the people involved in it. And uh, I hope people will come. And I hope that, uh, that that those who are not comfortable with it are again know how to react and how to how to pr- properly, you know, stand by as all this is going on. Uh, one can only hope. Uh, this week we spoke to um, we spoke to uh, Rand Paul earlier in the week, and he was proposing that aid to the PA be cut off by the United States because of the. Uh, uh, Abbas Hamas agreement, Fatah, and which we spoke about last week, of course, this merger, this marriage, whatever you want to call it. Um, at what point does this, uh, you know, stop being symbolic and maybe become practical? Meaning, if a guy like uh, uh, Senator Paul or others on the uh, on the Senate floor, on the floor of the House, go ahead and and make these proposals or try to introduce these bills, or in fact are successful in introducing a bill like that, at what point does it? become serious, or because the administration in Washington would never consider cutting off tie, uh, cutting off uh, aid to the PA, uh, it's likely going to remain just a symbolic gesture? Well, that's several questions. First of all, uh, I, I do think the administration would consider cutting off aid, if not all, but significantly, and it's bound by law already to do so if Hamas is part of it without accepting the traditional requirements of the quartet uh, of recognizing past agreements, recognizing Jewish, uh, the state of Israel, recognizing and, and uh, pledging no violence, etc. That um, that is not likely to happen with Hamas. And they said again yesterday, Mashal said that they're not going to renounce violence and they're not going to uh, take the other steps necessary. Uh, so that is in the law now. The fact that Rand Paul was not always the most outspoken supporter would, would take that position. And others, and other members of the Senate who have spoken out on it, um, is is a, I think, a representation of the mood and the and the attitude that exists today. Uh, that at some point you have to take stands. You have to send a message that you can't just keep violating. This was a big surprise to everybody. Maybe it was a surprise to to the parties themselves who didn't think it would go this far. Right. Especially on the part of the PA. Mm-hmm. I think Hamas used it because they are in economic collapse. The, the Egyptians have crushed them and their economy by closing the tunnels. They, they don't get the same support. Maybe uh, the PA thought that they could again do this flirtation, build up pressure, you know, so that uh, uh, on the U.S. and then again and, and through the U.S. on Israel by the threat that they, you know, they constantly threaten. This is the fifth time that they've had a reconciliation and nothing came of it. And frankly, I'm skeptical that anything will come of it now. It, it's not really in their long-term interest. What Hamas wants, and, and is ready perhaps to give up the governance of Gaza because it's a hellhole and a economic uh, an economic collapse, and then just build up their position to run for PA-wide or pa- the authority-wide elections for prime minister or for the parliament. Handle. Um, was there a reaction to all of I mean, I know we spoke about reaction last week in terms of this merger, you know, and, and, and reaction from the White House. But specifically on aid in the last seven days, has uh, the President Obama or anybody in the White House uh, made any statement regarding the potential cutoff? Absolutely. I was in Washington this week. Many people said it, but they said it publicly that this is something 
that would be considered, but it's not even so much their choice. I guess the president has waiver power, but right. this is a very hard thing when, when the sentiment is running so strong. Uh, and you have Michal saying that they're still committed to jihad against Israel, that uh, you know they had a, already a, a rally in Ramallah by these guys yelling, strike Tel Aviv, and the... Uh, you know the the pressure that he's been under the additional pressures and because of the other circumstances not because he's all of a sudden developed a love and one has wants to have a marriage with the uh, with the PA that that's what's what's really uh, motivating them but yes the administration has said things about it and uh, you remember there was a deadline of April 29th for the for the talks so that's passed and i don't think you've gotten the reaction people even if they blame Israel, they they blame the PA as well, and he didn't get a reaction where all of a sudden the pressure will, will be on them. And he says that uh, Abbas, that is, says he's going to go to these UN agencies and they're going to um, activate them. And all of a sudden, I think the international community not so thrilled with uh, you know getting put in this right. position. But officially, and well, we'll talk more about the Secretary of State in a moment, obviously, but. But he basically declared the talks over at this point, right? I mean, the 29th or not. The, yes, so, I think everybody agrees that they have that, to go back to the drawing board right. and make some decisions. Uh, and what did you make of Abbas calling the Holocaust the most heinous crime of the modern era and the timing after all of this that he goes ahead and makes this statement now? Well, uh, I think there are a couple aspects that people have pointed out. One is to recognize an historic reality is not such a brave and courageous move. Even when you've written the exact opposite for well, decades? I, I don't know what he wrote exactly uh, as an analysis I wrote read last night. is that he didn't deny the Holocaust. It's just that he says that the Jews were responsible also for per- for perpetrating it. Mm. And we have to see whether he's really uh, going to come out and, and uh, as he changed that view. We see others still writing about it and blaming the Zionist conspiracy for the, for the Shoah. I don't dismiss the fact that he said it. Uh, I just think that it's, it's you know, to acknowledge an historic fact, if he had said, and, that, and because of that, I think we have to recognize the importance of the Jewish state, the right of the Jews to the state, that et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't believe it should be linked to the Holocaust. I think there are other things, and that's part of the reason somebody asked me last night, why why would they engage in Holocaust denial? What, what's the benefit? Right. And the answer is because they say, look, the state of Israel was created because of the Holocaust, not because of 3,000 years of Jewish history, because they denied that history. So when you say that the Holocaust is not legitimate, then you take away the raison d'etre. It's another way of attacking our roots and the, the, the basis for the existence of the state of Israel. The U.N. did vote the, the Israel into existence, but as was pointed out, in a very thoughtful uh, analysis, that had the, had the Arabs not attacked, then they might they be able to say the reason Israel was, exists is because of the U.N. vote. The U.N. vote enabled it, but then you had an Arab attack. The U.N. didn't do anything, and it was Israel's fledgling population that fought back and create and enabled the state to be created with God's help. And 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 the UN cannot take credit for it now, uh, as much as we, of course, acknowledge what process and the and the vote that that happened. So, you know, these things are very complicated, and and frankly, right now I'm more worried about how they treat living Jews than the, and acknowledging their rights 
than going talking about dead Jews when it comes to, to Abbas. Excellent point, especially in light of uh, Yom Atzmut being right around the corner. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9. On the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Remember, weekend programming is flourishing on jmnam.org. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night, beginning at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And Matis with another amazing live edition of JM Sunday coming up at 7 a.m. Eastern Time this coming Sunday morning on our stream at jmnam.org. The timing is also interesting because he had, he had just, meaning Abbas, had just gone ahead and, uh, you know, sh- had shaken the political world with this uh, agreement with uh, Hamas. I wonder if he would have even spoken about uh, the Shoah, uh, if not, uh, you know, for a desire to, uh, to to sort of get back into certain people's favor. And I also found it interesting that it took an American rabbi to go ahead and have the influence on him to go ahead and make that statement. Wasn't that a little bit out of the ordinary? No, I think, uh, as I said, I'm not sure he has... Uh deny completely the existence of the Holocaust. It's Holocaust denial when you uh, undermine the significance of the Holocaust and the perpetrators, etc. Um, and, you know, it's an issue which I'm very sensitive about, the, the, the Shoah. You know, this week in the House Foreign Relations Committee, we had a ceremony launching a book, which I've discussed on, on the program because I've been working on it for more than 10 years, and it finally has come to, to fruition and has been published where we document what happens on Kristallnacht. Because when I heard in, uh, many years ago that the numbers we've been using all along, about 300, 295, 350, are so far off, and what I say about how we constantly still learn the realities of the Holocaust that we think we know so much about when we don't, that we documented more than 1,300 synagogues that were destroyed on Kristallnacht and its aftermath immediately just in the areas under Nazi control at that night. And that doesn't include Austria, it doesn't include the other countries. And in fact, since the book was published, we've identified almost 100 more, uh, as well as Jews who were killed from 33 to 38, uh, which who are not considered part of the 6 million. And the name, we call it Pogromnacht 1938, and it will be available online at germansynagogues.com, germansynagogues.com, with full descriptions of, of the communities and uh, uh, brief descriptions of the communities in Bigger cities have a have a more of a treatment, but there was never any record in English about this about the the, the synagogues, a collection of the that these communities not be forgotten because many of them don't have any uh, remnant, nobody to give testimony, nobody to memorialize. And this project, which uh, Professor Mayor Schwartz and others in Jerusalem, including German non-Jewish volunteers, young people who came to do research, and other non-Jews who who, who helped, but. Uh, also young Jews, who spent years literally pu- compiling the information. And for the first time, we have a publication, and the chairman of the Bundestag's Foreign Relations Committee joined the chairman of the House Foreign Relations Committee, and Elliot Engel is the ranking member, and uh, Nadler and many others were there to, to commemorate this uh, event because it focuses ag- us again on how many people, Germans, not the uh, Nazis and not the army and not the police, joined in making the night pogromnacht possible. And we don't call it Kristallnacht because that's a Nazi term that diminishes the significance when you talk about crystal and, and glass rather than talking about murder and, and uh, destruction. So what do we call it? 
pogromnach. And uh, what was the number again? You said the more accurate. We have more than thirteen hundred in in the book. Wow. And and uh, it will be available online. The, the actual books themselves will. Um, is the hard copies are only giving, being given to members of Congress to present to institutions in their districts, but the um, uh, but it will be available as a CD and and all the content online. So we don't need Abbas to tell us about the heinous crime. We have plenty of proof ourselves. We have the proof, and and you see that that seventy years later, facts still come out. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, what do you think of the uh, apartheid reference by Secretary of State Kerry? Well, I think he said it best. That he regrets saying it. It was unfortunate. It's not a uh, true representation. He said he could if he could rewind the tape or whatever, and he issued a strong statement both about his personal history and then, you know, it, people focus a lot on it because of the history, not just of this one incident, but that there were, uh, new, you know, some of the other comments that he has made. Um, but I think he tried, uh, and, and the statement he issued on Monday night, I think, was, uh, uh, you know, directly addressed uh, the concern that I think a lot of people felt. But the question is, what, where the policy, and where is this all going to be headed now? And, and this attempt to try and put all the onus on Israel that we see even in the media and by others really has to be, ha- has to stop, and there has to be clear responses by all of us to to this uh, distortion of reality. By the way, I think that one of the reasons that both members of Congress and uh, leaders in the community uh, reacted the way they did to his statement is uh, was somewhat following APAC's lead. They uncharacteristically were very vocal at a loud volume about uh, the apartheid reference. Well, we ha- went to Washington, in fact, about it to meet with the, uh, them at the State Department to express our views and to make known our objections. Uh, it is true that, that APAC doesn't uh, necessarily go into the, to issue public statements, but felt that it was necessary in this instance to, to go on record and to express their chagrin with the nature of the comment, which we did directly with the key people, both in the White House and State Department, because it, it's not just one incident that I'm saying. It's, it's the, and the impression that it creates, and this is exactly why Abbas will not never feel the need to do anything because he thinks if he can continue to hold out like this, right. then the pressure will only be on Israel consistently. So now put all this together, what we've discussed um, uh, this morning, and is the shuttle diplomacy over? Like, are the Kerry trips to the Middle East now, you know, suspended I would for say a while? Suspended. I, I don't think it's over. He's not heading to the Middle East in the near future. He's not heading there now. I don't see any sign that, uh, I mean, there are talks that still continue periodically. Uh, there's a, I think there will be a lot of reassessment going, there is a lot of reassessment. We met with people involved in it, and uh, I think they're trying to look at what went wrong, what, what is right, and what would produce something just to keep going there uh, endlessly. And again, if, if, if the PA can join with Hamas, I mean, that really was the blow. Mm-hmm. Now they're saying, well, it's settlements, it's this, that has nothing to do with settlements. It, this guy signs up with Hamas, has negotiations with the U.S. and the Egyptian, the U.S. and, uh, and Israel knew nothing about. Uh, I don't even know which Egyptians knew about it. And I think they, he himself was caught off guard by how fast this moved. But it was serving the purpose of, of, uh, Hamas and, Maybe he thought his short-term purpose, they would use it for leverage, and all of a sudden it started to race away. 
I don't believe it's going to culminate in anything, but I do think that it's a time to recalibrate and to assess where the responsibility lies, and, and this even-handedness every time, again, is disturbing. Other um, uh, administrations in the Middle East are happier that there is now less communication between Israel and the PA or not? I mean, countries like Syria and Iran, Iraq, Jordan, are, are they, they are happier or less happier that there's no communication now between Israel and PA leaders? Well, the extreme governments, obviously, the Irans and others will be happy if there's no progress towards peace in Israel and the Palestinians not talking. And uh, I mean, I'm not sure how much progress there was. But they like the diversion of attention away from them and, and the focus that has to be on, on, on Iran's nuclear program, which keeps getting a buy. You know, Syria comes in, this thing, Egypt, and everything diverts attention away from what is really the critical issue in, in, the, in the region. And frankly, I mean, people want to see some progress. And Israeli people want to see progress. The government, I think, is committed to, to a process. But you don't have a partner. You can't make progress. And the... The, uh, the administration and others, certainly Kerry, was praised by Netanyahu for the devoted effort that he made and the commitment that he made. You know, he was talking to uh, the prime minister every day, they say, and there was close working relationship between them. So people shouldn't portray it. You know, have to be careful how you portray things. Right. You don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. Wow, unbelievable. All right, can you explain to me what happened uh, in the Ukraine? A Jewish mayor of a city in the Ukraine was shot and ends up being treated for his wounds in Israel? Yes. He is Jewish. He is a somewhat controversial figure. Uh, he was shot in the back and in very serious condition. Uh, I, I guess that the hospitals there now are under such stress and strain and probably supplies are more limited, so he was flown to Israel um, to, to be treated. Identifiably Jewish, like was yes, it absolutely known to be Jewish? And um, I guess this is a good opportunity to ask you. The, uh, uh, the it is so confusing to me to try and figure out over the last few days uh, what's going on in the Ukraine. And you keep reading about uh, uh, Russian attempts, Ukrainian attempts to take over different areas. What what could you tell us about what's happened over the last few days? Chaos. <laughs> and uh, and today there were two helicopter pilots, two helicopters shot down. The pilots killed. These are Ukrainians fighting the pro-Russian forces. Uh, the, you know they continue to to hold siege on, on areas. The Ukrainians seem unable to to mobilize an effective response. Has Russia backed down at all in the last month? Has, have they have they done anything to make it seem like they're even concerned about world opinion now? Well, they still infiltrate people in. They still provide the support. They did not move the troops across the border, although they're there and still intimidate and. Uh, we don't know if there's infiltration of, uh, on a limited basis, not officially. You know, these guys who are carrying out the stuff are, are not wearing uniforms or uh, wearing uniforms, but not no patches, no identification. And they think that they are, in fact, Russian-trained uh, forces who, who have come in. Uh, the situation there continues to be terrible. The economy is in ruins. They're, they're moving towards an election. The, um, uh, but the internal fight and the splits, uh, remain the, the the security situation of course is uh, is a very serious one internally as well as along the border uh, people are comparing this to other eras in history when you know Russia has made attempts to uh, to expand so to speak or to have influence in other areas do you think that this is in fact uh, you know identical to uh, other Russian attempts over the last decades 
Russian attempts or other attempts. People have likened it to Munich. People likened it to other things. And no, no analogy is perfect. But you learn the lessons of history, and that is that um, people like Putin, who's single-minded uh, and shrewd, and has moved more and more towards uh, a, a uh, dictatorship style in in Russia are not going to be deterred if they don't meet resistance, if they don't see a unified West standing up for the Ukraine. And it doesn't mean going to war, and it doesn't mean that, that we have to be landing massive numbers of troops. But at the beginning and right away from the start, and, and there are relationships, people draw analogies, not from the past, but from what happened in Syria, what happened vis-a-vis Iran, that they see that the West is weak and, not, and not, doesn't act with determination and will which is something all the Arab leaders point out to us, and that is the impression that exists, then people like will take advantage of it because he, he will exploit the weaknesses. You know that Russia's economy is the same size as Italy's. It's not a great power. And if you take away 50% of the income, which is oil, I mean, you have nothing left with a, with a major country like that. So, and its population is diminishing. The, the, his internal situation is, is very bad. Uh, sanctions do hurt them, but but they have to be applied on a bigger basis. If, if uh, the price of uh, oil would drop $10 a barrel, it cripples Russia. That's why it's so surprising, and we said this last week, he's not acting like somebody who's in charge of a failing economy that's you know, multi-dependent on oil and, that, and, and, has, and has very little influence. He's behaving in the exact opposite manner. But this has been a big diversion for him. This has taken away attention from, from the internal situation. And got, his popularity is soaring because it, 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 he plays to Russian pride, uh, pride from the past. And, and people in Russia do consider Ukraine differently, I think, than from other places. But it could affect Moldova. It could affect others. And I can tell you that countries that used to be part of the former Soviet Union uh, are very worried, and, and more distant countries. Are you planning a trip to that area in the near future? I, I met with the uh, Ukrainian foreign minister this past week, and I met with the uh, Ukrainian officials. We're meeting with others. Uh, we have thought about it. It's just the uh, timing is very difficult. Wow. Uh, um, we have many people who have gone there. There are people on the ground. We keep in touch with the security situation and uh, try to, to see wherever we can help. And we were debating last week about the Jewish population of the Ukraine. Someone in Washington mentioned 300,000, which is a bigger number than I thought. No, I said it goes from 100 to 300 right. in the estimates. Nobody knows exactly. And uh, and one city had 50,000. I forget which one it was, but one city had 50,000. Well, the biggest uh, synagogue, somebody just came back from the Netrepotsk, a congressman, um, Anglin Congressman Royce, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, told me that he just came back and he went to the synagogue. And he told me how moving, but it's the biggest synagogue in, in the Ukraine. It's a huge new building, and many of the cities have, by virtue of the... Uh, significant donors who, who provided these big buildings. Uh, so the Jewish population there is significant. People forget they yeah, had an uh, out-migration to Israel and to the U.S., but the population remains, and then elderly and, and uh, how in difficult circumstances. Right. Congressman Royce was on the show this week, and uh, one, one thing you have to say, uh, both in the House and the Senate, the heads of the Foreign Relations Committees are pretty good friends. Wouldn't you say that? Amazing. Senator Menendez, Senator uh, Congressman Royce, Engel, all of them. If you, and, and you heard many others who the support in the Congress is great. And it's why having events like uh, the NORPAC trip and others that go to people going there, but also on the local level, inviting members of Congress to their community, 
come, having them come and speak uh, at, at shuls and, and building up the relationship and helping to educate them and, ex- and talk about the issues because, frankly, they're bombarded with so many different things that to keep the focus on some of the concerns that uh, we all have uh, is, is all the more important. And whether it's reminding them of the chemical weapons, Syria now supposedly has 27 tons and keeping the pressure on them uh, and the fact that they supposedly still used it, the, the, what's happening in Iran where we're still seeing the, the nuclear program moving ahead and the, the, the and U.S. Did, did impose new sanctions this week on Chinese and, and others at Dubai sources, but we have to see it uh, emphasized even more. And they did declare this week the State Department, much to Iran's displeasure, uh, a, a state sponsor of terrorism, which is very important. Right. Uh, but we have to keep the the pressure on them. None of the Khamenei said that he's not going to reduce the, uh, the research and development nuclear program. He said the main advantage is strengthening national security. So it's not for energy purposes. It's national security. It is a military purpose. He just said it. And we have to help call attention to these things and, and, uh, and the position that Israel's in and what, what is happening in the region. By the way, did I see this week that... Uh Erdogan is basically declaring that uh, he's ready for Israel and Turkey to uh, completely normalize the relations the way it was in the past. He did say that he is prepared. Well, first of all, his memory very mercurial, so it doesn't mean that yet that it will happen. Right. He did say that in the near future he thinks it's time to restore the relations. The quote that was publicized was actually an Israeli official's quote uh, about how important the relationship is in Israel's uh, strategic importance in the region. But uh, Erdogan did make the reference to wanting to come back and restore the relationship because they did resolve the issue, as I understand it, of uh, compensation. But he kept adding on new requirements, new requirements. <laughs> He's also facing a lot of internal problems. In all this while, the trade between Turkey and Israel has been soaring, which shows that on a people-to-people level, you don't have this, although you have radicalization and other problems going on in, in, in Turkey and concerns uh, abound, but the fact is that the, the trade between the two countries, it, it continues to increase. Do people still travel from the United States to Israel via Turkey? Some people do, because the uh, Turkish Airlines is cheaper, but the, <laughs> but the number of flights, uh, now I think Turkish Air is flying 52 flights or whatever. I mean, it's still huge. Again, it has resumed. Well, it's 52 a week? It's 52 a week, I think, yeah. Wow. Um, and finally, Malcolm, uh, this Monday, and we discussed, of course, Monday night you're speaking. We talked about that event in Brooklyn. 23,169 as we go into Yom Azikaron, Israel Memorial Day. That's uh, those who have fallen, uh, and in the number, of course, uh, includes victims of terror who have been taken by the enemy over the last uh, 66 years as well. A-, a big number for a small country, wouldn't you say? It's a, if, if you think in American terms, I mean, it's an astronomical figure, but it's astronomical for Israel. There's no family virtually that has not been touched directly and directly um, by, uh, by the terror, by the wars, by the price that Israel has paid uh, to be a Jewish state. And it's a time, I think, when people should reflect on it and not take Israel for granted to remember the price that was paid by so many and how little is asked of us do our part to protect the, the Jewish state. You know, it's going, there are going to be 8.2 million people 
in Israel as it celebrates the 66th anniversary. Who would have believed that 75% are Jewish? The country's economy is still growing at a booming rate. The, the population growing at least 2% a year. The, the standing of Israel, and if you look at its position, look at the countries that threatened it, not just in past history, but now. Egypt today is, is looking to Israel. I met the Egyptian foreign minister this week. You know, they talked about the cooperation in Sinai, Gaza, etc. The uh, Syria, Assad, who threatens Israel so much, Iran, Iraq, all, all of the countries today. Israel faces real dangers, but when you look at this course of history today, 60 years after, 66 years after its creation, I wonder if the founders could ever have even imagined that this would be the startup nation, that this would be the country that Arabs now talk about so differently, mm. uh, even if they're not ready yet to fight the necessary bullets and move ahead with the proclaiming their relationships. Oh, no question about it. And uh, five years ago, when the economy started to collapse in this country, we joked about uh, Jewish organizations going from the United States to Israel to fundraise. Five years later, Malcolm, basically the same type of situation. We just spoke to Jake Novak before you were on from CNBC, and he was talking about the income tax rate in Israel hovering at 20%, while most developed countries in this world are at 36%, and the, the purchases and the the economic uh, stability and growth, both at the same time, if you know what I mean, uh, just continues to flourish in the Holy Land. It's incredible. And the creativity. If, if you would see the things I see every week, new companies, new inventions, things that will benefit mankind, whether it's medical devices, or whether it's medicines, whether it's high-tech devices, low-tech devices. I mean, literally every day there was a conference this week uh, on this again, and, and they are happening, it seems, almost every month. And the array and the creativity and people said, you know, it'll dry up. We already have the, you know, Intel's chip and everything else. Intel is investing six billion dollars in Israel. Wow. This is, I mean, these are the untold stories and the creativity when you look at how they treat autism, how they're treating so many other things. They're so far ahead of, of other countries and they, they, they look to it. And as I said, when we were in Greece or in Spain and other places, they talk about Israel that they want to have closer relationship and especially because now Israel, God willing, will have uh, oil and gas flowing, and right. that will change things as well. Incredible. The whole thing is unbelievable. Uh, Malcolm, uh, enjoy Monday night. Call like a vote on that, and uh, we will speak, please God, next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, have a good job. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays, 740 Eastern Time at JM and the AM. Day 17, the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Emor with candlelighting at 733. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend to their readers our incredible live stream that you could hear 24 hours a day. Naomi Nachman is going to be doing a throwback program this coming, uh, this morning starting at 9 a.m. on our stream right after JM and the AM followed by an incredible mix of great Erev Shabbos selections between 10 a.m. and candle lighting time. So a big uh, shout-out to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. If you're not a, uh, if you're not signed up over there, you should do so. Uh, Monday is Bahab. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. Uh, Monday is our Yom HaZikaron program. Robert Katz will preside. Tuesday is Yom HaTzmoot. Mayor Weingarten and I will be celebrating this coming Tuesday morning right here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday morning, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin.
spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good morning, Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Emor. Parshas Emor, according to the Chinuch, contains 63 mitzvos. Wow! 24 positive mitzvos and 39 thou shalt not, 39 negative mitzvos. You have in Parshas Emor the laws referring to the Kohanim that even though today we are all ritually impure, still the Kohanim today observe the opening laws of this week's parsha that a Kohen is not to come into contact or be under the same roof as a dead body, is not to go to a funeral, is not to go to a cemetery, except for the seven blood relatives that the Torah identifies. And you have the further restrictions of the Kohen that he is not to marry a divorcee. He's not to marry a convert. Interesting, the Torah tells us, Vikidashto, you are to literally crown the Kohen with sanctity, with Kedusha, and more Kedusha, more restrictions. Shabbos is holier than Yom Tov. Shabbos has more restrictions than Yom Tov. Shabbos you cannot cook. On Yom Tov you can. You have in this week's parsha the parsha of the Moados that we read on the second day of Pesach. And you have in this week's parsha the mitzvah number 302, which is the mitzvah of bringing the Omer. We are in the period known as the Omer. This period began on the second day of Pesach, when we brought, when we had a base Hamigdosh, the Korban Omer. Hence this period of time between Pesach, and Shavuos is called the period of the Omer. The Omer itself is a measure, a dry measure. We find the term first used in the Torah at the end of Parshas Beshalach, where the Torah tells us that God rained down daily the man, the manna, to sustain the Jewish nation in the desert, and it came down, Omer Lagulgoles, a measure of man per person. Now, the Torah tells us that on the second day of Pesach, we are to take a measure, an Omer's worth of barley, and bring that as an offering in the base of Mingdash, thanking Hashem for the new grain and crops that have grown in the spring. Barley ripens before the wheat, and therefore we bring 
the Karban Omer on the second day of Pesach of barley, thanking Hashem for the new crops. And interestingly, in this parsha, we have as well the special offering that is brought on Shavuos, which is the Shtei Halechem, the two loaves. And this is made out of wheat. Why? Because on Shavuos we initiate the usage of the new grain of wheat for offerings in meal offerings in the Beis Hamikdash. Now, the Ramban and others point out that something very interesting. There is a transition going on between the second day of Pesach when we brought an offering of barley and seven weeks later on Shavuos when we bring an offering of wheat and that is as follows. Barley is considered ma'achal behema. If a farmer has both wheat and barley, he will use the wheat to nourish his family, that's ma'achal adam, and he will use his barley to nourish the animals, because that is ma'achal behema. Therefore, teach the commentaries that we start on the second day of Pesach with barley, symbolizing that when we left Egypt, we were on the level of animals. Hence, the carbon that's brought is that of barley, food for animals. We graduate seven weeks later on Shavuos when we receive the Torah to Ma'achal Adam, literally to the status of man, and hence the food of man is represented by the carbon of wheat on that day. The transition between the two, between the barley and the wheat, is happening in the 306th mitzvah, which is that of counting the Omer that we are in the process right now. I'd like to take this idea and carry it one step beyond. And that is as follows. The Mishnah teaches us in the first chapter of Kalim, it's the sixth Mishnah, and the Mishnah teaches Eser Kedushos Hain. There are ten levels of sanctity, of holiness. And the first one that's listed is Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, Mikudeshes Mikola Arotzos, is literally holier from all other lands. Now, Umahi Kedushasa, the Mishnah asks, and what attributes and what is symptomatic of its holiness? So if I were to ask anybody, I would imagine most would say, wait a second, are there not so many mitzvos 
what we call Tuluyos Pa'aretz, which are dependent on the land of Israel, such as Truma, Ma'aser, Shmita, Yovel, Leket, Shikha, Peya, all the agricultural laws which apply to the land of Israel and don't apply outside the land of Israel. Interestingly, these laws which applied throughout, which I just enumerated, these laws the Mishnah does not list. What does the Mishnah yes list? The Mishnah says, Shemavimi Meno Omer, what is special about Eretz Yisrael is because we bring from it the land of Israel, and only from the land of Israel, the Omer, the barley, which we bring on the second day of Pesach, which we spoke about prior, has to be grown in the land of Israel, as well as these two loaves, which are brought on Shavuos from the wheat which grew in Eretz Yisrael. And the Mishnah concludes, which you cannot bring these grain and these mincha from barley or wheat which grew outside of the land of Israel. Why does the Mishnah focus on these two? From a halachic perspective, Rav Salvechik explained that this Mishnah, which introduces ten levels of sanctity, it's really ten levels of sanctity related to the Beis HaMikdash, and the Mishnah is telling us that the Beis HaMikdash could only be built in Eretz Yisrael, and therefore it has the first level of sanctity, and hence the Mishnah brings two components, namely the Omer and Shtehalechem, that apply and are brought specifically to the Mikdash. But I'd like to suggest perhaps another basic reason for the Mishnah enumerating the Omer and Shtehalechem, and that is as follows. There is something about the nature of Kedusha, of sanctity, that by its nature it is mispashate. It is something which literally spreads and literally overflows, impacts beyond itself. So, for example, when we were privileged to have a Beis HaMikdash, if somebody were to say, and this is found in Rashi at the end of Pasha's Bichu Kosai, if somebody were to say, I hereby sanctify, designate the leg of this animal, that it should be a korban, so the Halacha says that the Kedusha is Pashte Kedusha Bekulei, the Kedusha emanates and spreads from the leg of the animal to its entirety. Kedusha is something which spreads. The Orachayim Kodosh says so beautifully that the sanctity of Shabbos spreads and generates and energizes the forthcoming week that follows Shabbos. We find that when Rashi tells us that when Yitzchak brings Rivka, Ha'oela, Sarah Imo to the tent, which was his mother, and the characteristics of the mother 
of Sarah were restored now that Rivka came in. Once again, you have the idea of Anon. You have the cloud. You have the sanctity. God's presence, which is there, is felt throughout and emanates. Kedusha spreads. And so what do we find, interestingly, in the Beis Migdash, where the Torah tells us regarding the Beis Migdash that Shlomo Built. So in the first book of Kings, we find in chapter 6, verse 4, that he made Shlomo Amelech windows that were shkufim atumim. And what does that mean? They were broad on the outside and narrow on the inside. Just the opposite as to how you and I would have windows in our homes. For our purposes, windows in our homes is to bring the light from the outside in. But here, Shlomo was teaching the world that literally the sanctity of the Kedusha of the Beis Hamikdash is to generate outside the Beis Hamikdash, and so the Mishnah is teaching us that what is the significance of Eretz Yisrael? You bring from Eretz Yisrael the Omer and the Shtealechem, as we said, that this represents going from the status of animal to becoming the status of man, how so the land itself contributes to it. The sanctity of Eretz Yisrael assists the Jew in his character development. Eretz Yisrael itself has feelings. The Torah teaches at the end of Parshas Matos that you are not to take a, literally, a, not just a, uh, a bribe. No, that would not be the right word. It would be that if a person is a murderer, and the person murderer says, look here, allow me to redeem myself with money, and I will contribute and give money to the community and you can build a hospital, etc. And what does the Torah say? Don't even think of it. The Torah says that you are not to literally pollute the land. You're not to cause the land to become literally defiled. And this is at the end of Parshas Masay, at the end of chapter 35, literally, you are not to literally bring guilt upon the land, meaning that the land has feelings and the land cannot tolerate injustice. At the end of Parshas Achrimos, the land cannot tolerate immorality and at the end of Parshas Akev, the Torah tells us that tell me about the land of Israel, the beautiful verse in chapter 11 in the fifth book of the Torah, verse 12, the land, Asher Hashem Elokecha Doresh Osa, literally the land that Hashem, your God Himself, seeks out. Tomid enei Hashem constantly are the eyes of Hashem on it. Meresheus Hashana v'at achrishana, from the beginning of the year to the year's end. Now wait a second, asks Rashi, does not God 
show concern for the entire world? Is it only for the land of Israel? And Rashi says so powerfully. He starts with, and through his extending blessing to the land of Israel, it is extended to the rest of the world. And it's for that reason that when you have a tuna sandwich for lunch, so you recite the Birkas HaMazon. The first paragraph, you say, Thank you, Hashem, for nourishing me. Hazonas HaKol. That makes sense. The second paragraph, why do we speak about our loyalty to Eretz Yisrael? And the answer is because we recognize that the sustenance that we have comes from Eretz Yisrael. If this is true regarding our physical sustenance, it's all the more so true regarding our spiritual sustenance. And therefore, in this time of the Omer, when we are looking to perfect our character and go from that level of animal to the graduate, to the to the level of man, we recognize how proudly Eretz Yisrael positively influences us brings us closer to God with His literally showering His blessing upon it, upon its people, and through it upon us as well. What a beautiful message that emanates from our holy land. Shabbat Shalom to all. title song from the last album that this was coming out with. Dearest to my heart these days since I had this chus of singing with my father. This track on the album. I want to dedicate it to my parents, dedicate it to all of our parents, all of your parents.
Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR, candle lighting at 7.33. Many synagogues begin earlier tonight. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Uh, Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR will celebrate Yom Ha'atzma'ut on Tuesday. Mayor Weingarten and I will celebrate Israel's 66th birthday with you. Make sure to be tuned in. On Monday, Robert Katz will be here, a commemoration of Yom Hazikaron, the 23,169 who have fallen in defense of the state of Israel and as victims of terror by the enemy. They'll be recognized Monday on Israel Memorial Day. We will follow the direction of the and the directive of the chief rabbinate of the state of Israel and observe this year Yom Hazikaron on the 5th of ER on Monday and Yom Atzmud on the 6th of ER this coming Tuesday, and we're looking forward to that amazing celebration right here at JM in the AM. Don't forget, we have amazing programming all day long on our stream. Naomi Nachman is coming up between 9 and 10 Eastern Time, right after JM in the AM. Make sure to be uh, tuned in as she presents a uh, an encore edition of a Table for Two. Uh, our amazing Jewish music Erev Shabbos stream will be on starting at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time all the way until candle lighting. There is no better way to prepare for Shabbos than with our stream. So make sure that's on in the background no matter where you are, home, work, car, etc., etc. Tomorrow night, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull beginning at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmnam.org. And Sunday, Matis has yet another incredible live edition of JM Sunday happening starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream jmandtheam.org. Matis Weingast has has um, presented that program in live format from day one. And it is much appreciated. It does a great job every single Sunday morning. Israel Bonds, Staten Island Division, and the JCC of Staten Island invite everybody to a dessert reception to celebrate Israel's 66 this coming Sunday night at 7.15. Ambassador Yehuda Avner is going to be the distinguished guest speaker. Information at 212-446-5835. The event takes place at the JCC of Staten Island on Manor Road in Staten Island. Check out Israel Bonds by going to the web, israelbonds.com. Israelbonds.com for information. Uh, reminder, the event of the Rarakefet up at Yeshiva University is 9.30 in the morning this coming Sunday. In celebration of his re-release uh, with uh, Yeshiva University and OU Press of the um, uh, work he did on the life of uh, Rabbi Dr. Bernard Revel and uh, the work on Rabbi Eliezer Silver. Uh, that's happening 9.30 in the morning up at the Lamport Auditorium. It was amazing having Rabbi Rakefet here in studio. Um, yesterday here at JM in the AM was really remarkable. Reminder that the uh, All-Star Hockey Tournament at TABC takes place this Sunday. Uh, you know what? I'll get to TABC in a moment. I just wanted to... There were two other things I wanted to mention about um, Yom Ha'atzma'ut. The Mizrahi on East Broadway on the Lower East Side, 249 East Broadway, will have Tzilat Arvit Baruach Hagigit at 8 p.m. Monday night. And guest speaker will be Mark Langfan, chairman of Americans for a Safe Israel. Shachar is 6 a.m. Tuesday at the Mizrahi. So keep that in mind. And um, 
and there was one other thing, and can't find it this moment. Uh, the uh, All-Star Hockey at TABC, that's going to be happening uh, this Sunday. I'm just pulling up the information as we speak, as we get set to wrap things up here uh, at JM in the AM. Uh, all right, we'll get to it. Before we leave the air, I will I will hopefully have that information for you right here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 733. It's been an amazing week of programming for us here at JM in the AM. Make sure to be tuned in next week as well. Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaTzmaut. It's going to be another very special week for us. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockin' County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Here's the information. The Esther Semelman Memorial All-Star Hockey Game takes place this coming Sunday at 2.30 p.m. in TABC's brand new gym. Over 90 JV and varsity players from the Yeshiva High School Hockey League will be competing in this East versus West battle to benefit iShine, a high lifeline after school program. TABC will have the coverage on TABC TV. To sponsor, go to tabc.org slash all-star hockey. Uh, Naomi Nachman is next, coming up on the stream, and then an amazing day all day long of great Erev Shabbos selections. Uh, Avrami tomorrow night at 10 with Saturday Night Siegel. Matis Sunday morning at 7. Robert Monday morning with our Israel Memorial Day commemoration. We'll celebrate together on Tuesday on Yom Ha'atzmaut. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.